And today I want to jump right into God's Word. And I'll tell you what, if, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Chronicles 4, Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 4. Everybody say 1 Chronicles 4. And if that one's difficult, after that we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 2. Okay? 1 Chronicles 4, then Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, I tell you what, we started a series last week called A Season of Generosity. And I really felt so strongly in my heart. Back right after the first of the year, one day I was spending some time with the Lord and I felt like God spoke to me and said, we're going to head into a season of generosity. So, you know, I thank the Lord for that. But then I had to start going to scripture and start digging on exactly what does he mean a season of generosity. You know, if you're going to enter into a season of generosity, you kind of need to know what to expect, wouldn't you think? So I began to study, and I'm going to be sharing last week, today, and again next week about this idea of the season of generosity. And last week, I laid the foundation, and we talked about the expectation of generosity. The fact that God is a good God, and He's a generous God. How many in the house today say, God's a good God, and He's a generous God? Okay, most of you know that already. Well, if you weren't here last week, let me encourage you, go online and check out the message. Because I laid a foundation from Scripture showing that God is a good God, He's a generous God, and He desires to bless His people. And then as we move into today, I want to talk in a few minutes about the stewardship that comes with God's generosity. The stewardship of generosity. But before I get into that, I want to spend just a couple of minutes in 1 Chronicles 4. And this is not my message. Turn to somebody and say, he's not started yet. This is not my message. This is my pre-message, okay? So today you get a pre-message and a message. I, I want to go back and tie into what we taught last week. But this week I just felt so strongly that God spoke to me about doing this today. So 1 Chronicles chapter 4, it talks about a man whose name was Jabez. I want to read two verses to you. Verse number 9, 1 Chronicles 4, 9. We'll have the verses on the screen. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Now, keep the verse up there for just a minute. Let me talk about this. This man Jabez says was more honorable than his brothers. But... What I want you to notice about Jabez is Jabez was born into a difficult situation, a difficult time in family life and in his mother's life. We aren't given details at all, but it was a bad situation. It was so bad that their mother said, I'm living in pain and sorrow. Has anybody here ever lived in a season of pain and sorrow? She said, I'm living in pain and sorrow. So she gave birth to the son and she named him pain and sorrow. How would you like to have that name wrapped around your neck and get to live with that one, huh? I, mean, I have friends who changed their names because they didn't like the names their parents gave them. But if I'd been Jabez, I promise you, I'd gone to the courthouse when I turned 21 and I would have changed my name. <laughs> who wants to be known as pain and sorrow? But I want you to notice something about Jabez. Look at the next verse, verse number 10. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, and notice this, Oh, that you would bless me. Indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, 
and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, let me give you four things that he prayed. Jabez prayed a prayer. In a few minutes, we're going to pray a prayer together. Jabez prayed a prayer. And the first thing he said was, God, I pray that you would bless me indeed. How many of you want God's blessing in your life? Miss your hands. We need to pray for God's blessing. Some of us say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Jabez prayed and God answered his prayer. He said, God, bless me indeed. In the original writings, what it literally says is he prayed the prayer and said, God, bless me, bless me. How many would like to have even a double portion of God's blessing in your life? That's what Jabez prayed. He said, give me a double portion. I don't want to just be blessed. I asked you to bless me and bless me. And then the next thing that he prayed, he says, and enlarge my territory. Now, he was speaking of his boundaries, probably the land that he owned. Enlarge my territory. He was saying, God, enlarge my influence. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a good steward. So I ask you to enlarge my territory and my influence. Number three, he says, God, let your hand be with me. How many of you would like to have God's hand involved in everything that you're doing with your life? Would you like that? I'd love that. I pray for that. God, put your hand on everything that you that that my life brings my way. Put your hand on it and bless it. And then the fourth thing, he says, keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. Now, I want to spend just a minute here, but I want you to listen to this today. This guy grows up. He becomes a man in his whole life. He's called pain and sorrow, pain and sorrow. Pain and sorrow. Generationally speaking, this is wrapped around his neck. I was born into this. I have always been this. God, I'm sick and tired of being bound by somebody else's curse and mistakes of the past. I'm asking you to liberate me and free me from the stuff that's behind me. That's what Jabez is praying. He says, God, I ask you to lead me in the right paths. Keep me from evil because I don't want to bring pain into anybody else's life. And listen to me. I don't want this thing hung around my neck any longer. I'm sick and tired of living in this situation. Now, this morning, I think the most interesting thing about this prayer is not that Jabez prayed it. It's that God answered his prayer and gave him what he asked for. God answered that prayer. Some Christians are afraid to ask for God's blessing. They've been taught, don't ask for God's blessing. Jabez did. God answered his prayer. We have a better covenant. Why wouldn't we ask for God's blessing? Some people are told, don't don't pray for God to expand you and increase your territory. Why not? Jabez did, and God answered his prayer. Evidently, his intentions were right. Oh, you know, don't pray those prayers and say, oh, God, be involved in every area of my life. Are you kidding me? We need God's hand and God's blessing in every area of our lives. We need to pray for that and expect God to answer that prayer. But we also need to ask God to liberate us from the things that are behind us that keep us from moving forward into all of his blessing. Some of us got family stuff that goes back nine generations and nobody's ever had the boldness to get up and say, enough is enough. God, it's time to change this. Now listen to me. Let me tie this into one thing before we pray. 
and I came back here to pastor this church nine and a half years ago, 2008, towards the end of the year. How many heard that we were having a recession that started just before then? Anybody ever hear the recession we had a few years ago? What about the rest of you? You didn't hear about it? (laughs) I talked about this last week in second service, but let me come back and refer to it for just a moment. That recession was the most difficult time for a lot of you people in your entire lives. We watched as many, many families moved out of this area to go somewhere else in the country to find work. We watched people, especially in the real estate business, in the mortgage business, we watched hundreds of people have to change jobs because there was no money to be made. This area was hit extremely hard during that time of recession. It didn't last six months or a year. It lasted several years. But here's what I've noticed. They say recession is over. But a lot of us are living and thinking like we're in recession and things are never going to change. And we're not giving God any room to work in our lives. One of the reasons I'm doing this series is because I want us to understand the generosity of God. But then I also, second of all, want us to understand that when God blesses us, there's a stewardship and responsibility that comes with it. I want us to enter into the generosity of God. And what I want to see happen today is, and I, first service, it was powerful what we saw God do. But I want to pray a prayer today, and I want you to pray with me. And we're going to pray for God to break recession thinking off of our hearts and off of our minds that we get out of that attitude and we move into an attitude of generosity where we expect God to do new things in our lives. Now, here's the thing. What is an attitude? This is my definition, okay? I came up with this all by myself. Okay. An attitude is a mindset, whether it's right or wrong, it's a mindset that gets tied to our emotions and it establishes a course of life for what we expect and for what we believe. I mean, it doesn't matter. You, you get in this area of my life and you touch on this area and whether I'm right or I'm wrong, you get this emotional response. There are a lot of us who are not listening to God's word and his voice. Because we're so wrapped up with the mindset of the last eight years. I'm ready to leave the last ten years behind me and move into the generosity and blessing of God. I want you to stand to your feet. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to pray this morning. Now here's the deal. I'm going to lead you in prayer. But here's the deal. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to agree with you. Scripture says if two or three... Agree. If two or three agree that the Father will do it. I want you this morning to pray the prayer over your life. That fourfold prayer. I want you to pray it over your life. Look at it. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. That your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. I want you to pray that over your own life and your own words. And I'm going to pray. You're going to pray. I'm going to agree with you. And we're going to see God change some things in our hearts and our minds today that change the course of our lives. Okay? Right there where you are. If you want in on God's blessings, lift your hands to heaven. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, your people, come to you today. And upon the foundation of your word, Father, 
Father, we pray this prayer and we agree together. Father, first of all, I pray that you would bless us indeed, that you would bless us and bless us and bless us and bless us. God, open up the windows of heaven and pour your generosity and your goodness into our lives. Father, I pray that you would begin to expand and expand our territories. God, help us to grow in our families, in our homes, in our businesses, in all that we put our hands to. God, expand our influence in our community, in our world, Father. Establish us as the people of God. And then, Father, I pray third of all today that your hand would be with us in the decisions that we make, in our businesses, in our jobs, in all that we put our hands to. When we stretch out our hands, we ask you to stretch out your hand, Father, and let your hand be involved in everything that we do. And then finally, Father, we ask you to break the curse of wrong thinking, break the curse of wrong expectation, get us out of doubt and unbelief and cause us to look at the promises of God and forget about the principles of man. Help us to expand our thinking and believe you for more and more and more and break the generational curse, break the curse of the last 10 years off of our hearts and minds and help us to expect the generosity of God. We ask for it. We ask you to answer that prayer and we believe you do it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I'll give God praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Somebody was thinking, well, he's a little bit passionate this morning. You need to be as passionate about God's blessings as I am and let God pour them into your life today. Amen. Now that the now that the pre-message is over, you can be seated. Let's get into God's word, okay? I know some of you are worried, oh my goodness, how long is he going to speak this morning? Not too long, I promise you. I want to talk to you today about the stewardship of generosity. We're going to begin reading in just a moment Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. God wants to pour his goodness and his generosity into our lives. But when he does so, there's also a responsibility for us to correctly steward and manage the generosity and the blessings of God. His word talks about it, and I'm going to show you some things today that we need to understand. Sometimes our greatest problem is not that we don't receive God's blessings. Sometimes we just don't manage them well. And, you know, I don't expect a lot of amens today, the first part of this message. Uh, But I'm telling you the truth. God demands that we learn how to manage what he puts in our hands. Now, look at, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm going to talk about two main things this morning. Lots of little pieces, but two main thoughts. The first thought is, I want to talk to you about the purpose of work. I know that's a four-letter word, and some of you don't want to hear it, but we're going to talk about it today from Scripture. Ecclesiastes 2, look at verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2:24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink... And that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. What he's saying is God wants you to labor with your hands. And then he wants you to enjoy the benefits of your labor. 
That's from the hand of God. Now, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13, very similar words. He says, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I want to spend a few minutes talking about this thought today. Your job, your work, your business is not a curse. It is a blessing to lead you to the generosity of God. See, that's different thinking for some people. I hate my job. Can I give you some advice? Go find something to do with your life that you enjoy doing. But get a job you enjoy. Get a different education, enter into a new line of work, and find something you love doing. Why? Because work, job, employment is God's gift. It's from his hand, and that's one of the ways that God brings his generosity into our lives. Now, let me illustrate this to you. If you go back to creation, when God created Adam and Eve, I touched on it last week, and I'll probably touch on it again next week. When God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden. He gave them every tree that was beautiful. He gave them every tree that was good for fruit. And then he put the tree of life in the middle of the garden. He also put there the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can enjoy all of these trees, eat any fruit you want, anything off of any of these trees, except for this one tree, leave it alone. He said, the rest of them are yours to enjoy. And then God said this, here's the garden, you dress it. And you keep it. God gave them the responsibility of stewarding that garden. God has never changed. Ecclesiastes 2 and 3, we just read it. My labor is an expression of my strength, the gifts that God has given me, and those labors help bring God's favor and generosity and blessing into my life. So, with that in mind, work is not a curse. Work is a gift from God's hand, and it brings God's generosity into our lives, but it also then brings God's accountability into our lives. See, I'm accountable to God for what I do with the blessings he pours into my life. Now, let me give you some things to think about this morning. Ask yourself the question, how do I see my job? Everybody smile at me. I'm reading faces this morning, okay? How do I see my job? And let me extend it beyond that. How do I approach my job? The work that God has given me to do. How do I see it and how do I approach it? Because the way I see it will determine how I approach it. And the way I approach it will develop my work habits. And some of you say, well, you don't need to talk about work habits. You need to talk about the Bible. That's exactly what I'm going to do today. Talk about the Bible. Solomon, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, at least until Jesus' time, he shared some things about work habit. He said work is God's gift to bring God's generosity into our lives. Well, let me share some things that he said. Proverbs 10.4. Solomon said, he who has a slack hand. Literally, it means a lazy hand. He who has a slack hand and doesn't do what he's supposed to do, that person will become poor. But the hand of the diligent 
will make you rich. Now he gives us two different pictures to look at. The lazy hand and the diligent hand. Well, we know what a lazy hand is. A lazy hand is a hand that doesn't do what it's supposed to be doing in a specific season. Every season has a specific thing we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're lazy in that season. If we want God's blessing, everybody smile at me. Come on, everybody smile. Even though he, you, those of you who are on hourly, wage, hourly wages, smile at me for a minute here. In every season, there is something I'm supposed to be doing. I don't want to be slack and lazy in my responsibilities. Now, I'll get to diligence in a few minutes. How many business owners or managers or you're the boss of a crew or something. How many of you have employees who work under you? Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high just a minute. Hold them up high. Yeah, see a lot of hands going up. Now, I'm going to put responsibility on you this morning to give me lots of amens the next few minutes. Okay? And and here's the thing. I, I can't teach half of God's word. I know there's nobody in this house today who's lazy. I know that. But I got to tell you what lazy is so you'll be able to recognize it when you see it in other people, okay? All right, here we go. Let's walk through this. First of all, isn't it interesting to see how much lazy people work to avoid work? (laughs) And you see it in the workplace. It's amazing how hard some people work trying not to work. And they're doing everything in the world. They're busy. They're doing all these unproductive things. But the thing they're supposed to be doing, a lazy person doesn't do. It's amazing. You work around somebody like that. If there's 10 people at work, there's at least one there like that. Always surfing the web and doing other things, you know. But here's the interesting thing. Proverbs 20 and 4 says, the lazy man will not plow because it's winter. Oh, it's too cold out there. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. You know, the lazy person doesn't seem to understand why he can't keep a job. I'm glad that there's no lazy people in the house today. But it's amazing. It's amazing. Here's another thing. Proverbs 26, 13 says, the lazy man says, there's a lion in the streets. A fierce lion is in the streets. I better not go out there and take any chances today. The lazy person always has an excuse for not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Oh, this is good. Where's my, where's my managers and business owners? Where are the amens? Come on. You have my permission. Well, unless your spouse works for you, then you got to be careful. How about this one? Proverbs 26, 14 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Does anybody work with that guy who 17 times in the last six months has said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late today. My alarm didn't go off. Baloney, it went off like nine times and just kept hitting snooze, you know. It's always the alarm's fault. I don't know why you don't think this is good. I'm I'm enjoying this. How about this one? 
Proverbs 26, 16. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Isn't it funny how the laziest guy in the office is the smartest guy in the room, at least he thinks he is? And he can always tell you how stupid the boss is and how stupid you are. And if he was running everything, it would be okay. And the truth of the matter is, he doesn't have any idea what he's doing. (laughs) Solomon must have had some employees in in the castle, you know? How about this one? Proverbs 10, 26 says, as vinegar to the teeth. How many have ever gargled vinegar or swished it around your mouth? I haven't either. I'm not sure what it does to the teeth, but I'm assuming it eats away the, 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 the enamel. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Isn't it funny that the lazy man never understands why the boss is looking for a reason to fire him? Because every time the boss trusts him and sends him out, it just creates more headaches. See, Solomon spoke about all of this. And here's the thing. I don't care if you're a business owner. I don't care if you're a manager. I don't care if you're an employee who just started out on the bottom of the ladder. Wherever you are in life, God wants his people to be diligent people. We need to be the best people in the workplace, not marginal. We need to be the most diligent and the very best. Because there's no blessing, there's no benefit, there's no prosperity in laziness. Now, now that I've kind of described from Scripture a little bit about laziness, let's look at the other word, diligence. That word diligence means to be incisive. You make decisions, you're determined, and you get active, and you get out there, and you do what needs to be done. And literally, the word diligent in the Old Testament comes from a a word picture. It's a picture of a man who's found gold in the ground. And what does he do? He goes out there and he gets active and he starts digging that gold out of the ground because he knows the blessing is in the gold. If I get the gold out of the ground, it's of great benefit. As long as the gold is in the ground, it does nobody any good. So what does he do? He gets after the gold that's in the ground. That's what a diligent person does. It's amazing how many people through the years I've heard say, man, I'll tell you what, we have a job to do at work, but I tell you, I don't, I don't work too hard. I don't get very hard at my labors. I sure don't break a sweat very much because you know what? There's all that gold in the ground, but the man's getting rich. The owner's getting rich. The corporation's getting rich and I'm not getting much. So I'm not going to wear myself out trying to dig that wealth up from somebody else. That's a lack of diligence. Is my mic not working? (laughs) That's a lack of diligence. Because a diligent worker sees the gold in the ground and gets it out because he knows if I create worth for my company, it will come back and be a blessing to me. Can I tell you something? If you're a laborer, if you're somewhere down the ladder and you want to advance, Scripture says that advancement and promotion comes from the Lord. And the best way to get promoted is to dig that gold out of the ground and bless your employer. And if you bless your employer, your employer will bless you. That's right, see? Got a business owner back there. He knows. If you don't like your job, talk to him. He'll give you a job. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. What kind of worker am I? Ask yourself that question. What kind of worker am I? We're talking about stuff out of the Bible today. What kind of worker am I? How about this? 
What is my reputation among my peers? The people I do business with, what's my reputation? The people I work with, what's my reputation? How about this one? Am I honest? Do I tell the truth? Am I honest? Or do I hide the truth to make that sale or to get that deal? Because I just want to make the money no matter what it takes. Am I honest? How about this part? Do I cut corners? Did you know half the truth is still a lie? But two amens and two laughs. Half the truth is still a lie. Hmm, how about this? Do I hide the small print? Small print. How many of you love small print? Ann and I, we joined this vacation deal. And it's not a a timeshare. It's not a super long-term thing. But we joined this vacation thing because if you join this thing, you get a couple of free weeks out of it and this and that. We did the numbers on it and it made sense. So last year, we went to our first trip, first return trip from when we got our vacation deal. We got there, and come to find out, there was a bunch of extra expenses we didn't know about. And we just told the people, you know what? That guy was dishonest with us. You know what, you know what the response of the lady was? What's well, on page 47 in the small print, third paragraph. You know how many points that scored with me? Not very many. But the point is, do you hide the small print, or do you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? How about this? Can my word be trusted? If I give my word, do I see to it that my word is honored even if it costs me money? Can my word be trusted? How about this one? How do I work when the boss isn't around? I wish I had it in front of me. Do you know how many millions and billions of dollars are wasted every year in the workplace because people are surfing the web rather than doing their work? I don't think it happens here at the church. But I will check this week. Sorry to say I'm just kidding, but I'm not kidding. I will have Travis check this week. Let me tell you a story. Years ago when I was a young pastor, I was pastoring in another part of the country. And I moved into this new neighborhood. And this guy moved in next to me, built a house. And... Really a nice guy. He was about my age. He owned his own business, was doing quite well, had a lovely wife and children. We became friends and started visiting a lot, you know, hung out a little bit around the house and just a nice guy. His wife came from a family that was quite famous or quite well known there in the area. So we had some common ground there. Anyway, make a long story short. One day I thought, you know what? This guy needs to be in church. He's not going to church. He's not serving God. He's a good guy, a nice guy, honest guy, but he's not going to church. So one day I was having a conversation. I said, hey, you know what? I want to invite you to come to our church one of these Sundays. And I said, do you go to church anywhere? He said, well, I got a church background when I was a kid, but I don't really go. I said, I'd love for you to come visit our church. Just one time. Come to church. You know, if you don't like it, fine. But come to church. I'll take you to lunch. We'll have a good conversation, a good visit. I'd love for you guys and your family to just come to our church one Sunday. And he looks at me and he says, do you know, and he calls this guy's name. The guy whose name he called had a used car dealership. And I said, yeah, I know him. He said, he comes to your church, doesn't he? I said, no, he doesn't. 
He said, wait a minute, I thought he went to the such and such church. I said, no, he goes to another church in our denomination, but he doesn't come to our church. And this guy looked at me and he said, well, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would never go to a church that guy, that guy went to, and I would never go to a church in the same denomination that guy, that guy goes to, because that guy is the biggest phony I've ever met. And he says, here's what happens. You walk into his office, he's got a great big Bible on top of his desk. You walk in, he's preaching at you, telling you about right and wrong, you're going to hell, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But if you do business with him, he'll lie, cheat, and steal and do anything to sell you a car. He's cheated me on different occasions. I don't want to be that guy. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes God's sitting up in heaven. And we start telling people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and I go to the bridge church. And God wants to say, shut up, shut up, shut up. Don't tell them you believe in me. Don't tell them you're a Christian. Don't tell them you're holy. You just cheated him out of $750 and he knows it. Quit doing that to me. Hello? We need to be diligent in our work. Here's the reason why. God looks for places to pour his generosity where people are going to be diligent with it. And I believe we're heading into a season of generosity. And one of the things that needs to happen is we need to get our hearts wrapped around diligence to move forward in the blessings of God. So let me read, read one more thing to you. Proverbs 23 says, do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. One more thing here. Work balance. Are you leading a balanced life? Are you balancing work? Does it have the appropriate place in your life? Does it assume the appropriate amount of your life and time? Let's put it this way. Do you have time for God? If you don't have time for God, there's something wrong with your work schedule. Do you have time for your spouse? If you don't have time for your spouse, there's something wrong with your work schedule. Do you have time for your family? If your wife has to introduce you to the kids when you come home, something's wrong somewhere. Oh, you remember Johnny, don't you? We named him after you. Oh, Johnny, yeah. Wow. I remember you. How about this? You know, God gave us Ten Commandments in the Old Testament to show us our sin. One of those Ten Commandments is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do you have time to rest? See, a lot of us are breaking one of those commandments, and we know it. Because we don't set aside a day of the week to rest. Do you know who the worst offenders of that rule, that law is? Preachers. Because we work on Sundays, and we don't set aside a day of the week to rest. Can I tie it to one more thing? Come on, I need to leave. Oh, thank you. We need two or three degrees. Once I get one more degree with me, I can do it. Do you take time for vacation? Your family needs it. Do you set aside money and find a way to budget it in? Make a way to take your vacation time and rest? Do some recreation with your family? You need to. That's part of our diligence. And then... The second part of this message, somebody said, the second part, it's time to go. No, it's not. We've got, we got about six minutes here. So the second thing, I talked about the purpose of work. 
Let me talk to you about the reward that comes for your work. Scripture tells us the servant is worthy of his hire. You need to pay a person what he deserves for his work. Every one of us who works, we see, we receive a reward. We get a paycheck. Some kind of reward for what we've done. For some of us, it's weekly. For some people, it's twice a month or once a month. Whatever it might be, or at the end of the job... Whatever it is, we get a financial material reward for our work. So what do we do with it? What do you do with it? You know, God rewards us with his generosity. He gives us the strength and the ability to work our jobs. And then when the reward comes in, it's like, oh, this is all mine. I don't need to consider God in all of this. Of course we do. We're stewards of his generosity. Let me tell you what scripture says. When I, when I do a job or I do my job and a paycheck comes in, somebody is telling me you are worth this much for this period of time. Now, I may think I'm worth more than that, and that's a separate subject. But I get a paycheck, an agreed-upon amount for the work that I've done. That's my reward. So what do I do with it? First of all, we need to live within our means. Live within your means. Live within your means. Proverbs twenty one seventeen says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. If you're blowing your money on everything except what it needs to go to, it's going to create problems for you. And God will hold you accountable for what you do with your money. Hello? How many will come back next week when I hear you on a happier subject? Live within your means. The second thing... Don't cut corners. Don't scheme with these get-rich-quick ideas. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Don't cut corners. Don't look for ways to cheat. Be diligent. How about this one? Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. If you can't afford it, don't go buy it on the credit. Isn't that good? Woo, that's a good one. Now, I know in our society today, it, for most people, it's pretty much impossible to buy a house unless you have a mortgage. Okay, I'm not talking about that. But when you see that new thing, oh, I don't have $316. Oh, but you know what? I got this credit card, and it's only 29% interest. <laughs> Problem is you've already got 17 things on that card, and it's going to cost you about four times what it cost the original. If you can't afford it, don't go borrow money to satisfy your heart. It's good preaching. How many love your credit cards? How many love it when the bill comes in? See, that's my point. This is my point right here. Oh, this is such a blessing. It's not, you know, 17 days from now it's not. Oh, I had to have that car. I could only afford a $400 car payment, but I could get this one for six, and I'll just believe God for the rest. You should have bought the $400 a month car. Hello? Live within your means. If you can't afford it, don't bite on the credit. How about this one? 
How many, how many would say, well, I'll be glad when you're finished today. <laughs> Proverbs 22, I'm sorry. Uh, Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Trust God with your financial decisions. Pray about financial decisions. Read scripture. See what scripture says about those financial decisions. Because the Lord brings generosity into our lives and he doesn't add sorrow. It's my poor decisions that bring the sorrow into my life. I could tell you, I could talk about this all all day, but I got to move forward. Finally, last thing, Proverbs 3. And I love Proverbs 3. That, That chapter is amazing. But here's a part of what God says. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Last point. When God blesses you and you partake of his generosity, honor him first. Too many of us say, well, when I get everything else paid, if there's money at the end, I'll honor God. Honor God first. Some of us... Some of us need to downsize our houses and our cars and other things in order to put God first. If that's what it takes, you need to put God first and honor him first. Because God says, if you'll honor me first, I'll open the windows of heaven. And I'll pour blessing on your life until it just overflows. We'll talk about that more next week. Honor God first. Everybody say first. Not second, not third, not ninth. Honor God first. I'm going to close this morning because my time is gone. I could talk a lot longer, but I won't. Uh, Here's the thing. There's some of you sitting in this building today that maybe you've never been in a relationship with God and you've never put your trust in God. Maybe one of the reasons is because you thought God didn't care about these little details of life. I want to tell you today, God is concerned about every single area of your life, including your material and financial needs. God wants to bless you. But God also wants your heart wrapped around him and not other things. Maybe you're here today and you've listened to this message and you've realized, you know what? If I'll honor God with my life, God will bless me. That's what he promised in scripture. That's what he's promised. Trust me, take me at my word. This morning, I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead this entire congregation in a prayer. Just give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus today. Did you know God loves you so much? He put his own son on a cross to pay for your sins, to bring you into his family. Though you've been far away, he doesn't want to just keep you at a distance. He wants to bring you close and bring you into his family. But he needs your permission. He needs you in faith to say, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. And I believe you want to bring me into your family. I want you and I need you in my life. It all begins, that whole relationship begins with a prayer. Prayer is just words talking to God. Just communicating with him. I want to lead you in a prayer today and give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and begin that relationship with him. I'm going to ask every person, bow your head, close your eyes. Maybe God's knocking on your heart today and maybe you're realizing this is real. It's not religion. It's not just phony ideas. This is the real deal. And I want to know God. I want to ask everybody in the room, pray this prayer with me and wrap your heart around it. Let these words become your words of faith today. Pray this prayer. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. 
I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I want to know you. I want to be your child. So I believe you. I will follow you. From this moment forward, you will be my father. And I'll be your child. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now let me tell you, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you once opened your heart to God, but you've been the prodigal and you've been on the run, and it's time to come back and rebuild that relationship with God. It's the greatest decision you ever make in this life. And we've got a little tool we want to give you that I promise you will help you. It's a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's really simple reading for the next week. Just a little bit for each day that help you understand how much God loves you and how you start building that relationship with God. How he wants to get involved in your life. We want to give it to you. Two ways you can get it. When we're finished in a few minutes, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk down to one of these prayer teams and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. No strings attached. If you've got questions, they can help you with questions. If you want prayer for something else, they're here to help you as well. But they'd love to give this to you. If you just want to get it and go, we simply want to help you get started building relationship with God. Now, if you're in a really big rush today, the second way you can get this book, on your way out of the building where the glass doors are as you exit the building, there's a counter set up right in the middle. It's got a sign about beginning your relationship with God. Stop there and ask for the booklet. If you don't know the name the next seven days, they know what you need. Just stop and ask for the booklet. We'll give it to you there. We want to help you start building that relationship with God. Best decision you could ever make in life. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you.